0: Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's word to be empowered and challenged today.
1: Well, this morning we have a a guest speaker and I'm really excited to introduce him to you because I've known him on many different levels. Uh, Dr. Greg Perry was one of my professors at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. So he taught me Greek and was patient with us as we had to kind of slug through learning another biblical language. And uh, also, one of my favorite classes that I ever took in seminary was a, a class called Bible Content Overview, where each day we just learned about, like, what's one book of the Bible about? What's the book of John about? And that class forever changed my life because I began to see the big picture of Scripture, and I still use that the material that he taught us in that class Dr. Greg Perry now works for Third Millennium Ministries in Orlando. And if you had to sum up what Third Mill does, Third Millennium Ministries, it is free biblical education for the entire world. And, yeah. I told you they would be excited about that. (laughs) Now, here's what they do. They have put together these programs uh, different, different online classes that are really well done. Deep theology, deep biblical stuff, and they've released it to the world for free. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, you guys, some of you might remember Pastor Macklin Basse, who comes once a year from West Africa. I just prayed for him. He's in Togo, West Africa, and he trains missionaries and pastors and they use some of the materials from Third Millennium Ministries. So that's really cool that we have this connection both with Macklin and now Dr. Perry is here today to speak with us. I'm gonna ask him to come up and would you give him a warm welcome? He and his wife Darlene are in town. Um, Darlene, can you raise your hand? And uh, I'm just so excited to have them uh, them here this morning. It's really a treat to have Dr. Perry speak to us this morning because we've been in the book of Acts, and Dr. Perry is a Luke and Acts scholar. Oh, boy. So this is his thing.
0: This is his thing. (laughs) No,
1: no pressure. But I know. right. Um, But here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for him, and then I want to ask if you'd share a little bit about Third Mill before you get into God's Word, and um, and then we're gonna we're gonna hear about God's Word from Acts chapter 11 and 13. So let's pray. Lord, we come before you, and we we ask that your Spirit would be at work. Uh, We we know that our hearts can often be hard. And we need your spirit to soften us so that we can be open to who you are and what you've called us to do. We thank you for your grace and your love and your power. And we pray that that would be unleashed this morning as Dr. Perry speaks to us. We pray that uh, you would bless his ministry and the ministry of Third Millennium Ministries as they train pastors and Christian leaders around the world. We pray that they would see much fruit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. Thank you, John.
0: Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Good morning, everyone. One of the reasons that I love Luke so much is that he's got a place for everybody. Uh, I love the fact that Luke, if he's going to tell a story about uh, men coming to know Christ, he's also going to tell a story about women coming to know Christ. If he's going to tell a story about Jews coming to know Christ, he's going to tell a story about Greeks and Latins and... Egyptians and eunuchs and Ethiopians come to know Christ. It's amazing. What an incredible story that just demonstrates the worldwide reign of our Lord Jesus. And so that's why I'm excited uh, about Luke, Acts and the fact that you all have been studying Acts together. A little bit about Third Millennium Ministries. Uh, I was on the board for many years and watched the growth of the ministry. And always our mission has been biblical education for the world for free. And at first the focus was on producing a curriculum. So we have 27 courses in Bible and theology. If you go to thirdmill.org later today and just click on the learn tab at the top uh, you can see video seminary curriculum and all of the courses will come up. It's right there for free. So If your small group is looking for a course on James that you want to go through James together, uh, it's right there. We've done that. We've gone through James together in our home fellowship group. But at the top right of the website is a drop-down menu. It says languages. And if your first language is not English and you would like to read in Swahili or you would like to read in Farsi, you just click on the language. Uh, It's available in Spanish, 22 different languages that this curriculum is available in around the world. About five years ago, we began to turn our focus uh, towards distribution and training. And so that's when I began to hear from Dr. Pratt, uh, who's a dear friend of mine. Uh, I had been his research assistant in seminary, and Darlene and I had dated each other back then. Uh, So we knew each other from those days. And uh, Dr. Pratt invited me to go with him in 2016 and for Darlene and I to spend some of our sabbatical time in 2016 uh, to see everyone, meet everyone in Orlando, and then for me to go to Indonesia and China uh, with him and do some workshops with, with leaders. Let me just tell you that God grabbed my heart because our brothers and sisters who are making sacrifices at different parts of the world to get the training they need uh, they go to great lengths to get that training. Uh, You know, they're working more than one job. God's gifted and called them to be ministry leaders in their church but the church can't pay them very much so they're working another job to make it happen. Not only can they not leave their church to go off to some Bible school there's not Bible schools available in most of the places. So think about it. Where the church is growing the fastest, on the continent of Africa, for example, in Iran, for example, in China, there's the least opportunity for pastors to get the training they need. Because there's no Bible colleges, no seminaries, or very few. And even if they could go, they wouldn't want to because God's called them to a particular place, Like Lome Togo. Have you ever heard uh, Macombase say that Togo is the place to go? So he's not wanting to go anywhere else. That's where he wants to be because God's called him there and gifted him to train God's people there to be disciple makers, to be border crossers, as we're going to talk about this morning. And so seminary's got to come to them, and that is what Third Mill is all about, is bringing biblical education to God's leaders right where they are, in their own language, in their own land. So, thank you John for having me this morning, asking me to share a little bit about Third Millennium Ministries. You're gonna hear later today about a conference we're doing in Miami in November. If you're available, if your schedule allows, we'd love to see you down there uh, for uh, a workshop we're gonna do on biblical interpretation. So, you'll hear more about that later. Well, I want you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 11. This morning we're looking at a place and a time when our brothers and sisters were first called Christians. Now you and I might think, well that's, wow, that's not bad be identified with Christ in that way. But in those days it was name calling. Uh, Christians didn't call themselves Christians, it was actually outsiders that gave them that name. We see it a few times in the New Testament in 1st Peter chapter 4. We see it a second time in Acts, uh, in Acts 26 when Paul is before Agrippa and he says, Paul you've lost your mind. All of your learning is making you insane. Do you think you can so quickly persuade me to become a Christian? Are you nuts? Because what Agrippa knew and what everyone else knew in those days was the name you wanted, the passport you needed, The ticket that you needed punched was to be a Roman. You wanted to be a Roman. That's what you wanted because they had the power. They had the power. They had crucified this man called Jesus who had claimed to be the Christ. You're going to claim to follow some crucified Savior? Are you crazy? Identify with a criminal, with someone who'd been identified as a sedition, who who had come against Caesar and had lost the battle. That's who you want to be with? At Antioch, our brothers and sisters were first called Christians. Do you remember that first time when you were called a name? I remember. I remember it pretty clearly. Junior high school for most of us, probably. I don't know if it was maybe kindergarten for some of us, but junior high school, I can remember it very clearly. Now, by the time I got into eighth grade, my friend, Christy Laws, had become the quarterback for our team, and they were winning, and so the name calling kind of died down a bit. But a year earlier, when we were both seventh graders and nobody knew who Christy Laws was, Or who I was. He was in my English class. And he was smart. So I wanted him on my team. I didn't know what all this Shakespeare stuff was about. Christy was smart. And so I chose Chris to be in my study group. Oh, and that's when it started. I come into the lunchroom. I sit down with my friends. And they get up. And they start scattering. Because I crossed the line. I crossed the border. I had become a You Know what that is? That's a Greek word that John learned a long time ago through blood, sweat, and tears uh, that means a lover of strangers. Now, it wasn't quite that nice because, you see, I had chosen as my friend one of those bust-in black boys to be in my study group. Now, what I experienced wasn't nothing compared to what Chris experienced, or what your brothers and sisters are experiencing this morning in China, or what your brothers and sisters are experiencing today in Iran as they try to gather to worship our Lord Jesus. The Christians at Antioch were called a name, they were called Christianoi. So this morning, we're going to continue our study of the message on the move and how God's good news meets real people to form God's blended family. I love that name, God's blended family that you have for new city. That's beautiful because that really tells the story of the fact that our Lord Jesus is not just the King of Israel, not just the Messiah of Israel. He is the Lord of all the nations. Even the Lord of the Ethiopians, the Lord of the Mesopotamians, the Lord of the Egyptians, and guess what? Though a lot of Christians didn't like it and struggled with it, the Lord of the Romans too. Because, see, the good news is powerful. That's what you've been learning. This good news is alive. It's at work. It's moving from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and throughout all the earth because the word is not the word by itself. It's accompanied by the spirit. It's word and spirit that is moving throughout the world. The word about this king, Jesus, and the spirit that he has poured out. And we have Dr. Luke as our guide. And I love that because Dr. Luke had seen it all. He'd seen the blood. He'd seen the open wounds. He wasn't surprised by the bruises, by the broken bones. But you see, some scholars in the 20th century said that Luke had written an idealized version of early Christian history. They thought that Dr. Luke was kind of like Pharrell. He was singing happy all the time, right? I'm happy. He had papered over the differences between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. He would made Peter sound like Paul. He made Paul sound like Peter. But if you read, if you listen, if you listen to Pharrell's song, there's plenty of bad news going this and that. And Luke was a doctor. He had seen the bad news up close and personal. He doesn't paper over the stuff. But here's what the critical scholars of the 20th century couldn't understand. Luke had been grabbed by joy. He'd been grabbed by joy. By the fact that despite the broken bones, despite the the severe persecution, the fact that Stephen, as you've heard Stephen's story, you know what Stephen went through. You heard about Saul and how he persecuted the church. You heard how he dragged people and put them in jail. You've read the stories of how Paul himself would become someone who's in prison for the gospel. So Luke isn't singing, I'm happy all the time, like he doesn't see the brokenness, like he doesn't see the bruises, like he doesn't see the cost of being called a name, of following this person named Christ. But what Luke understands is there's a bigger story here. It's much bigger than the Roman story. It's much bigger than the Roman Empire. It's much bigger than Israel and the land of Palestine. Because this Jesus has defeated death. He was crucified, but he's not dead anymore. He's alive. He's risen. He is seated at the right hand of the maker of heaven and earth. And he has poured out his spirit on his people and that spirit and that story is changing the world that's what luke understands so brothers and sisters pray with me before we read god's word this morning let's pray together spirit of holiness we need your help we come before luke's word this morning we got a lot on our minds a lot on our hearts we're feeling the bumps and the bruises We're feeling the challenges of living in this world that draws lines, that takes sides. We're mindful even of people that are friends of ours that if we cross that line, it's going to cost us. So Lord, by your spirit, would you give us your grace? Would you give us your energy? Would you give us your strength to cross lines? Not to stay behind walls because you are the Lord not just of Democrats, not just of Republicans, you're the Lord, not just of white or black or brown, not just of rich or poor, not just of male or female, you are the Lord of all the earth. So Lord, give us your courage, give us your strength, turn the lights on in our minds and heart this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. A report came into the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus and he looked for Saul. And when he found him, He brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the whole world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and they did so sending it by the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. First thing that we see about those first called Christians is that they were a mixed bunch. They were from different people groups. They spoke different languages. And let me just tell you, that was weird. It was weird in the Roman Empire, it's weird today because birds of a feather flock together. But something happens when you're given the the gift of repentance. When you're shown the mercy of God, something changes. Something, a switch comes on and you realize that we all need bread, that we all need water, that we're all made of the same stuff. That we're all made in the image of God, but that we're broken and, and that we're ruined, and that we need a savior. Someone who can restore us to the glory of what we were intended to be, all of us, whether male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free. Something was happening in the Mediterranean basin, and it was causing those who identified with Jesus trouble. Because that's what we're going to keep reading. And as you keep studying the book of Acts, you're going to see they get evicted. Have you ever received an eviction notice? That's what they received. You see, they had been in the synagogue. They'd been part of the synagogue. And the synagogue was not just a church. It was a school for their kids. It was a, a bank for when they got in trouble and they needed a loan, they needed support, an interest-free loan. You see, the synagogue was everything. It was your community. It was your family. But those who started seeing that Jesus is the true Messiah, they got kicked out. They got evicted from their school, from their home, from their support system, from their church. They crossed the line because they believed that Jesus was the king not just of Israel but the king of the whole world. So where were they going to go? Who are they now if they're not part of the synagogue? That's the question that Luke is answering in the book of Acts. Who are we? Why are we here? Where do we belong? And that question gets answered. You're going to see. They can't really go to the Roman guilds. They don't fit in the Roman schools. How are they going to pay their bills? How are they going to find their work if they can't be a part of the Roman guilds? Because they're offering these meals to the gods. God starts a new economy. He starts a new household. The household of Jesus, Jesus the King, a blended family, a new family, a new temple, a temple that is opening up holy annexes in every land, in every city, in every neighborhood. There's not just one holy place now, the holy of holies in Jerusalem. Remember what happened to Stephen when he started talking like that? They got mad. You cannot contain God in one house because the whole world is his footstool. The Holy Spirit starts moving out through peculiar people, through strange friendships, through those who love the stranger. The Word and the Spirit goes out and it starts making places holy, making them new, renewing them. And here's what's interesting not just a religious space. No, it creates a new economy of goods, a new place for radical hospitality. People share their stuff. They share their food. They share a new table because they're washed, they're clean by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And they're brought together in new spaces, in new households. They're called Christians. So these Christians, the first thing that we learn about them is they are a mixed bunch and that that's weird. They were the ones who'd been scattered because of the persecution under Stephen. You remember it was the Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria who had fought so hard to maintain their Jewishness in a foreign culture. And here comes Stephen. He starts talking in Greek. They're mad at him. Have you ever met someone in a foreign land, an American in a foreign land, and they're just constantly talking about America? They have a name. People in other parts of the world call them the ugly American. Have you ever heard that phrase? They're just talking about how great America is, right? I remember I lived in Sydney, Australia for three years, and I I learned about this guy named Scott because he'd gone to my seminary. I'd never met him before, so I'm going down to a meeting in Canberra, Australia. I'm looking for Scott. I'd like to meet him. I'd like to have some, you know, I don't know, fried chicken together, something like that, right? And uh, I remember Scott was all about his Southernness. And it was really weird because he's in the Southern Hemisphere, but he's all about his Southern North Americanness and he had come to Australia to teach spiritual leadership principles to the Australians American style but here's the thing the Aussies weren't much interested in that they had their own way they had their own understanding of leadership I don't know if you ever heard this about the Australians but if you like Put yourself forward in Australia, it's called the tall poppy syndrome. They just cut you down to size. There's a strong sense that we're all made of the same stuff in Australia. Leadership works a little differently there, leadership principles and leadership structures. But Scott made himself the ugly American. Instead of learning from those that he was living with, he fought hard to maintain his Americanness. And in doing so, he lost something more important, a more important identity marker, that he was a Christian, that he was a brother, and that he could learn from his brothers and his sisters as well as teach. He could learn from each other. We hope you're inspired by God's
1: word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word.
0: That's what had happened. Persecution. Jews from Cyrene and Alexandria. They were all about their Jewishness. And they took it out on poor Stephen. Something is happening now though. We just read about it in the story of Acts. In Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 11. Going to read about it again in Acts chapter 15. Luke tells the story three times. So guess what? Listen up. It's important. Right? Do you ever notice that Luke tells the story of Peter and Cornelius not once, but three times? That Luke tells the story of Paul's conversion not once, but three times? If we remember the fact that it was an oral culture, that they're telling stories, then we get, oh wait, I know what Dr. Luke's up to. He's using boldface. He's using highlighter. He didn't have it back then and so he just repeats the story. Emphasize the importance of what happens between Peter and Cornelius. Because you remember who I said got top billing? The Romans, that you wanted to be Roman back then? Well, the Jews, like Peter, didn't like that very much. They were an occupying army. And here's Cornelius. He's one of the generals, he's one of the leaders of the occupying army. Guess what happens? The spirit who came at Pentecost will not leave Peter alone. He said, okay, you're preaching at Pentecost, Peter. Now we're going to see. We're going to push you out. And we're going to have you not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And so he gets a vision. And an angel leads him. Takes a lot of prompting to get him over to Cornelius' house. But he finally gets there. And he starts telling the story of Jesus. And he gets to the part where Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit, guess what happens? Jesus pours out the Holy Spirit on the Roman general. And that occupying soldier he's now Peter's brother. And they sit down for a meal together. Because if I've made you clean, you're clean indeed. That's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus does in making these blended families. Well, that has just happened And Peter has just told that story when we come to this section of of the story of Antioch. And Peter reminds us of Pentecost, and it's an important reminder that helps us understand who we are and what we're here for. He says, Jesus said, I'm baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That happens right before this section starts there in chapter 11. And it's an important reminder. We're supposed to remember Pentecost. We're supposed to remember. Why is that? Because guess what? That's who we are. We're Pentecost people. We're marked by the spirit given at Pentecost. Because when we receive that cleansing, it makes us do new things. Adopt new habits as this blended family. I don't know if you have one of these signs in your house. Do you have this one of these um, wonderful family recipe signs? They call some of them call family rules. You know, dream big. Love well. Speak kindly. Dance together. Right? Play games. It's great. They're really terrific little signs. To put in your kitchen or put in your, your family room. Pentecost. And what happens at Pentecost is like that. It's like a family recipe. It marks us with a pattern. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit comes on a people? What happens to them? What do they start doing? Who are we? Why are we here? Well, when news gets back to Jerusalem that... The people in Antioch had received the Holy Spirit. They look around and they see who are they going to send down there. And they decide on Barnabas. Now this is a perfect choice because if you remember about Barnabas, he was a Levite, right? But he was from Cyprus. So You've got someone, he knows the tradition, he knows Israel's scriptures, but he's from somewhere else. He's not from Jerusalem. So we understand other cultures as well. And here's what's really extraordinary, and I love the way the NIV puts this. I'll read the NIV translation here. In verse 23, it says, When Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. So here's my question for us this morning in the time we have left together. What evidence did he see? What, are the, what is this family recipe? What is this Pentecostal pattern that marks us as Jesus' people, as Christianoi, those who follow Jesus? That's what we're going to see here in the rest of what we learn about the people in Antioch. He saw grace. He saw a people who were grace with skin on. That's what he saw, grace with skin on. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're all about. It's interesting. Barnabas is like overcome with what he sees. He doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He doesn't go back there and tell them about it. He goes, he wants to say he wants to get Saul. He says, you've got to see this man. You've got to see this. Come down to Antioch. Now Saul had experienced this encounter with Jesus, right? He had as he tells Timothy later, I'd been shown mercy. Says it twice to Timothy. I was a violent man, but I was shown mercy. Do you remember what Barnabas had done earlier in chapter 9? He'd already advocated for Saul. Those people in Jerusalem church, they didn't want anything to do with Saul. They knew his reputation. They had people that he had arrested and put in jail. They didn't want anything to do with him. But Barnabas says, no, something's happened to Saul. It's for real. I heard him preach in Damascus. He argued about Jesus being the true Messiah. And he starts talking in Jerusalem to the Grecian Jews as well and testifying that Christ is the Messiah. It starts to cost him, and he has to leave because they want to kill him. Barnabas steps in. He says, you got to come see what's happening in Antioch. So here's what I want to ask this morning. What did Saul and Paul, I mean, Saul and Barnabas see? When they come back, the first thing they see, and it's mentioned twice here. Notice with me in chapter 11, it says here that a great number of people, verse 21, believed and turned to the Lord. Do you remember the first thing that Peter preaches at Pentecost? Repent, turn, and believe the good news. And a great many of them were added to the Lord that day. We read in, we're supposed to hear the echo The same sort of language, the language of Pentecost is being used. And notice what it says again in verse 24. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. The Spirit is bringing them to the Lord. They're not coming out of their own will. Their will is being changed. As Luke says later, Lydia's heart was changed, right? And she was brought to the Lord. That's what's starting to happen. A Pentecostal pattern is emerging. When we start to see something happen, why is Barnabas bringing Saul to Antioch? For a whole year, they teach. They teach the scriptures. They teach the scriptures in the light of Jesus coming, in the light of Jesus pouring out his spirit. Isn't that interesting? Another echo from Pentecost. You remember Acts chapter 2, verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How are we supposed to understand our life experience? How are we supposed to understand this blended family? And that it's not like the world. It's not birds of a feather flock together. It's something new. It's something different. How are we supposed to know about that? We need some explanation. We need some teaching from the scriptures. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the scriptures, and Saul and Barnabas taught for over a year. But that's not all. You remember how Peter talks about what's going to happen when the Spirit comes? That your daughters and sons are going to prophesy? They're going to be prophets. So, guess who shows up? Agabus, a prophet, comes down from Jerusalem starts talking about this great famine that's going to happen. There's going to be a great famine. It's really interesting. If we do the research, if we go back and look at Josephus and Tacitus, we actually read that during the days of Claudius, there was a great famine. It's for real. It's true. But notice what they decide to do. It says right here that the disciples, verse 29, each according to his own ability, decided to provide relief for the brothers living in Judea. It's interesting. That word translated help in the NIV and relief in the ESV is actually, as John would know from Greek, it's the word diakonia. It's the word service. They provided service to their brothers and sisters. Actually, they provided grace. They provided gifts. They were... Grace with skin on. When their brothers and sisters needed food, what did they do? Acts chapter 2 tells us what they did at Pentecost. They brought their first fruits to the apostles, they sold their property. Barnabas himself had sold a piece of land. Why? Because his brothers and sisters were in need. Now, they weren't communists. It's very interesting the language here. Each of them did this as they had need. They had private property that they owned, but here's what they knew. They were part of a new family. They were part of a new household. They'd been evicted from the synagogue. They were now together. It was them together. The Spirit had bound them together. They had all received grace, and now they gave grace because they had received it from the Lord. He had provided for them and they were going to provide for one another. So here's the marks then of Pentecost. The first and most important mark is repent and believe. If you've been given the gift of repentance, something new happens. You change directions. You go a new way. You bear a new name. You've been washed. You've been cleaned. You've been brought into a new family by the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens There's a radical hospitality that starts happening. You're sharing the same table. You're sharing new bread and new wine. Cornelius sits down with Peter. Jew with Greek. Male with female. It's no longer segregated male and female like it was in the temple. No, we're all here together. Guess what? Males only were circumcised. But now guess what? Men and women are baptized. We're all washed the same way. We all come to the Lord in the same way. We're brought to the Lord by the Word and by the Spirit. And it generates a new economy. It generates the first fruits of Pentecost. This is where I'll close. This is why the Pentecostal pattern is so cool. It's so amazing. Do You remember in the Old Testament what Pentecost was about? It was a feast, the Feast of the First Fruits. And what it celebrated was that God had kept his word and he brought us into the land. We were no longer in the wilderness. We were no longer in Egypt as slaves. We had our own land, our own property now. And we could grow crops. And we could raise cattle. And so guess what? We brought our first fruits from our crops. We brought our first uh, fold from our flocks to the Lord to say, you have been faithful. Here's the evidence, here's the proof, evidence of the grace of God. We're not slaves anymore. We're not in the wilderness anymore. We're a new family. We're part of a new land, a new creation. So isn't this interesting? Jesus is crucified for our sins and then He's raised and has the power over death and He creates a new land a new creation, a new people, a new covenant, a new household. And so what do we do? Who are we? Why are we here? We're the Pentecost people. That's who we are. A mixed bunch. Men and women, parents and children, married and single, come from different walks of life, different levels of education and do you know the name that gets top billing among us? It's not an American passport. It's not Caesar. It's not Rome. It's the name. It's above every name. It's the name of Jesus. Our brothers and sisters were named Christians first at Antioch and we're like them who are we why are we here we're Pentecost people we're Jesus people we've been brought into a new land a new economy where there's radical sharing because guess what Barnabas saw grace with skin on let's pray Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters in this blended family here. Thank you for the new city that you're building and that you're taking us to. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the forerunner. You are our elder brother. You are our Lord. You're king. You're going before us into the new land, into the new creation. And this morning, Lord, we're reminded by our brothers and sisters that we bear your name. That we belong to you because you've shown us mercy. You've made us grace people. Energize us, Lord, for that work of radical sharing, of being good news in this neighborhood because you're worth it. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Perry, so much. In just a moment, we're going to sing, but I just want to encourage you a couple things. Did, Did you see how thorough the Lord brings this theme of God's blended family into the book of Acts? What that speaks to me is this isn't just our church's idea. This is God's idea. This is what God is about. God is about a blended family. And we live in a time when there's so many different ways that we can divide about how you respond to COVID. Think about your generational differences. Think about racial tension. All those things are real. But what's more real is that Jesus is King, that He's our Lord, that He's forgiven our sins, that He's ascended to the right hand of God, and He sent the Holy Spirit to live in us together. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon
0: Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcdhh.com. We'll see you next week.